When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week we'll be talking about cross-border clampdowns on insider trading with Brooke Masters. There is a sense that this is a big and ongoing investigation that could lead to hundreds more arrests. It's certainly an attempt to go after professional traders as opposed to stupid junior bankers. Then we'll take a look at the Banking Commission continuing their public debates. I'm sure John Varley this week will be a lot more tight-lipped about what the Commission plans to do, but it will make for a very interesting debate. We begin today, though, with the reaction to the EU 85 billion euro bailout for Ireland. And to talk about that, Jennifer Hughes, our capital markets correspondent, and Charlene Goff, our banking correspondent, are here to talk about that. Um, Let's start with Ireland, guys. What do you think has emerged from this bailout over the weekend? The kind of headline numbers are largely as we expected, 85 billion in total. I think there's probably some small print changes that we hadn't expected. Is that right, Charlene? Well, we've got a clearer idea how much will be set aside, broadly speaking, to recapitalise the banks. And the initial upfront injection is actually sort of at the lower end of expectations. There's only €8 billion Euros going directly into the banks, and that's pretty much split between allied Irish banks and Bank of Ireland, a couple of the building societies also uh, needing a bit more upfront capital. And then they've reserved a separate €2 billion Euros to improve the quality of the loan books at the banks as they start to make disposals, which is obviously going to be another massive part of this restructuring. So that accounts for the sort of upfront €10 billion, and then there's another €25 billion uh, Euros that has been set aside as another pool that will be available to the banks in the future as sort of contingent capital. It seems to remain a bit unclear as to what that £25 billion is for, whether it's actually it's a contingent fund, whether it's particularly for uh, to fill capital holes in future or whether it's part of the ongoing funding, the liquidity basis, how it dovetails then with the ECB funding, the European Central Bank kind of emergency funding that the Irish banks had to rely on or have had to rely on for months now. So that's one key thing we're trying to get to the bottom of, frankly, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, they've been very clear that this package should address the liquidity problem problems as well. So it seems that that will come from that 25 billion. But there seems to be a degree of flexibility in in that amount that, you know, if the banks do require more capital at a future date, that could come out of that fund as well, you know, should they suffer more severe losses than we're expecting. But we still haven't got a great amount of detail as to how they will ease their funding concerns. And that's obviously still, you know, a big problem for the banks. Now, the markets today have well, certainly initially seemed relatively pleased with what had come out, but how have the markets responded throughout the morning? I'm not sure you could say it was so much pleased as not too upset. There was a small rally to begin with, but bank shares are actually mostly lower. What is rallying is actually bank debt, which, as you know, is about my favourite topic at the moment. Presumably because the senior bondholders in the Irish banks have not been hit as some had feared they might be. Yes, that is very good news for the senior bondholders and senior bondholders across Europe. If you had started hitting the seniors, the risk was, and I think this is what the policymakers realised in the end, 
if you had hit the seniors and forced them to take losses, you'd end up with a very nasty court situation, almost certainly. And also a lot of other banks across Europe would have had problems raising cash because people would have thought about what this might mean for them. Now, actually, interestingly, we've also seen rises in prices on the junior debt today, the subordinated stuff, which is pretty much still classed under burden sharing. And we're still expecting big, big haircuts for investors in those. But I suppose the general tenor of the agreement was such that people are less nervous about bond investment generally, and therefore, hence the the kind of relatively positive response from the market. Pretty much. I mean, they're still a little bit worried about looking ahead that Ireland's planning some sort of special resolution regime, which would include this idea of bail-ins, so you could see haircuts in future rescues. You'd like to think we were through most of the rescue by now, but you know, investors are still a little bit worried about that. But for now, the bank debt market is virtually closing up for the year. Every bank out there is saying, we're done, we're funded for this year. I'm not sure they all are totally, but they're certainly saying that. And so the market is kind of going into Christmas shutdown already. I guess there's two big questions now. Firstly, does it solve Ireland's bank problems? Secondly, does it stop the rot in terms of the European market, either both for European banks and for the Eurozone? First on on Ireland, Charlene. I think there is some concern that this isn't going to go far enough to really sort out the banks. I mean, even last night, the regulators seem to be leaving the door open for further capital injections into the banks, which already makes people worry that, you know, they sort of are acknowledging even now that this isn't going to do enough to to get the banks up to the required level. Because there did seem to be a bit of wrangling there, didn't there? Between, it was earlier last week, the suggestion that you'd picked up was that there was going to be no upper threshold on how much should should or could be put into the banks of the 85 billion total package yeah. but now it's it's specified at 35 billion which seems to have been I don't know an IMF something that they've insisted on yeah I think they wanted a very clear breakdown so we knew like how much was there reserved for the state how much was there for the banks but people are not convinced this is enough for the banks particularly as the 8 billion that we're seeing going into the banks immediately is also uh, designed to cover any future losses on the NAMA loans that are still on the bank's the books. Bad bank that, uh, the bad bank that the Irish government has said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And given that they've said that another $16 billion of loans are going to be put into NAMA, if they've only got $8 billion in, in total, I mean, some of the discounts we've seen have been as much as 60%. So already that looks not a huge number to cover potential losses. Those numbers don't seem to add up. What about the broader European picture, Jen? Do you think this stops the rot? I would say, if you allow me to fudge that it's too soon to tell, but not necessarily. I mean, there's still some worries about what could happen elsewhere. You're still seeing a lot of talk from policymakers on what they'll try and force through in bad banks to make them look better. Portugal's banks don't look so much of a problem to the Portuguese economy, but... People are still comparing the size of the banking sector in each country to its economy and how much it can support should things get worse from here. Very good. Well, we'll keep watching that situation over the coming days very closely. Let's move on now to insider trading. Brooke, you've been looking at the latest developments. There's a big case brewing, really, in the US. What's going on exactly? In the US, the prosecutors, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which does criminal investigations, and the SEC which does civil investigations, have been basically building a web across Wall Street and Silicon Valley and every place else where they think information is leaking. And they are now starting to snatch things up. They are a bit like spiders. I mean, they they caught a fly last week, a guy named Don Chu, who allegedly, and obviously he has not come to trial, so we have to be careful about this, he allegedly got paid as part of an expert networking consultancy to link hedge fund traders 
with corporate executives, particularly based in Asia, but working for U.S. firms. This has raised a big question. Who else are they going to go after? Are they going to go after the hedge funds who use this network? Are they going to go after other experts? There is a sense that this is a big and ongoing investigation that could lead to hundreds more arrests. That may be a little overblown, but it's certainly an attempt to go after professional traders as opposed to stupid junior bankers who you know do one deal and move on. These are people who have made a living out of trying to seek advantage, and the SEC and the, and the DOJ are sick of it. What's interesting about this is it comes at a time when insider dealing is getting a far tougher treatment around the world. What's bringing it to the fore at the moment? The cynical answer is that it's a lot easier to prosecute insider dealing than it is to prosecute failings from the financial crisis. So if you want to give the public a sense that, that you're, you're doing something and you're putting real bad guys in jail, it's easier to do. I mean, it's clearly wrong. And so if you can catch people doing it, you can put them in jail. With the financial crisis stuff, it's really hard to tell who got misled about which CDO when and whether they should have known better. The other thing that's happened is over the last five years, there's been a concerted effort by the big jurisdictions to get the little jurisdictions to all sign up for information sharing. And there are now 115 securities regulators who all agree to share information, which therefore makes cross-border cooperation a lot easier. Are there any ramifications for, I mean, there's a big insider trading investigation launched in the UK, isn't there, by the FSA a few months ago. No direct connection, obviously, between this and that, but it's all part of the same mood, as you say. It is definitely all part of the same mood. And that big one, which involved raids on a couple of high-profile institutions in the city, is probably going to lead to at least further interviews and perhaps charges sometime in the winter or early spring. In the meantime, the FSA has not been sitting on its hands. Last week, they charged five people associated with a specialty brokerage with trading ahead of U.S. technology company mergers. That case has obviously not gone to trial yet, but that, again, is very interesting because that's a real cross-border case, and the SEC is also looking at it, apparently. And I guess what all the regulators are aiming to do with this is just stamp their feet a lot and make people scared so that they'll uh, think twice about doing it in future. Absolutely. They've upped the fines. They're trying to put people in jail. You know, I think insider dealing is one of those crimes that is deterrable. You know, it's not a moment of passioned crime. People do think about, is it worth my time to do this? And if it becomes really dangerous, people won't do it. Let's move on to our final topic for today and bring Charlene back in. We've got the Commission on Banking continuing their public debates, these question time style debates that they've been holding for the past couple of weeks. We've got the third one and arguably the most interesting one uh, this week in London, hosted by the, the CBI. This one's going to be chaired by Sir John Vickers, who's the chair of the commission, and it's going to have among its panellists the chief executive of Barclays. It's quite an interesting thing that John Varley himself has agreed to take part in this debate. Do you think that makes it a, it'll make it a more interesting one and a more important one, Charlene? Well, I think it will be probably the most important one that we've seen so far. And we've had a couple of taster sessions in Leeds and the north of England. But so far, what's been interesting, I think, is that the main controversy has actually come out of the commission members themselves rather than anything really the public have done. I mean, we saw Claire Spottiswood sort of ignite this um, some controversy when she suggested that one real possible option would be to break up Lloyd's. Um, we saw the big defence from the Lloyd's chief executive, Eric Daniels, on that last week. So I think that was a little bit unexpected. I mean, we kind of didn't really think the commission would divulge too many of their secrets. So I'm sure John Varley this week will be a lot more tight-lipped about what the commission plans to do, but I'm sure it will, it will make for a very interesting debate. John Vickers, he's always very discreet, I yeah. think, so I don't think we can expect huge news, but it'll be interesting to see what comes out and how far 
we can judge whether he's trying to pave the way for himself to move into a public sector role. Interesting that he's been on the front foot in a lot of these initiatives of late, most recently last week emerging as the organiser really of this new project for, for the banks to fund the Big Society Bank, one of David Cameron's big initiatives. So we'll be going along to that and um, we'll report back next week yeah. I think that's... And, and obviously being in the city the audience will be full I'm sure of lots of bankers with their own sort of interest in mounting a defense to keep banks together and not break them up so that will be quite interesting to to hear very good well that's all we have time for today I'm afraid in the meantime I need to thank Charlene Jennifer and Brooke in the studio and also thank you for listening Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani until next week goodbye for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.